0: Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from Time Waits for No One The Chronocar Chronicles, written by Steve Bellinger. Building a time machine is surprisingly simple. However, time travel is incredibly dangerous. In 2015, Tony Carpenter stumbled upon the plans for the Chronocar a time machine conceived before it could be built by Dr. Simmy Johnson, genius, scientist, and son of a slave. Tony's visit to 1919 to see the doctor and his lovely daughter Ollie turned into disaster, forcing the doctor to make a most difficult final decision. Now the timeline has worked its way back to 2012. A new Tony Carpenter is about to be hit by a real blast from the past when he chances upon Dr. Johnson's granddaughter, who has a story he can hardly believe and evidence of a journey to the past he can't deny. When Tony shows up in 1919 yet again, Dr. Johnson is confronted with the possibility of his invention ultimately obliterating all of creation. Can they locate and destroy all the copies of the journal with his article and any chronocars that may exist before everything literally goes to hell? And now for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from Time Waits for No One.
1: Chapter 1 On April 30, 2001, Augie First died at the ripe old age of 82. Two years later, his son Johnny figured out a way to surprise him for his birthday. Augie grew up a country boy, born and raised on the prairies 30 miles south of Chicago, on a little farm with his father, Ernest, and mother, May. A year after he lost both parents in a train wreck, Augie sold the farm for a surprising amount of money to developers who were building new homes in the post-war boomtown of Park Forest. And were eyeing land in the surrounding area. Augie took a big chunk of the cash and bought some property in Crete, a few miles east. Then he purchased a prefabricated build-it-yourself house from Sears Roebuck. His family laughed at the 32-year-old. They figured Augie was just too stupid to know any better. They were certain the house would blow away. In the next summer storm, or collapse under the weight of the snow of the first big blizzard. Augie ignored them and built it anyway. He figured they were all just pissed because he didn't consult them or share any of the money. For years, Augie worked at Mac's service station in Crete, always a little frustrated that Mac would never listen to any of his suggestions to make the place more profitable. People come in here to buy gas and oil, not play stupid games, he said when Augie suggested installing a pinball machine. Mac was impressed with the fact that Augie was a quick learner and turned out to be a mechanical whiz who could fix almost anything on a car. If and he had the parts, Augie could probably build a car from scratch, Mac would say. Augie married June Parker and got her good and pregnant. That's when he decided to use the rest of his real estate windfall to buy the gas station and rename it The First Stop. He turned out to be a shrewd businessman, and, as the communities around him grew, the station prospered. It seemed that people would come by The First Stop for more than just gasoline, oil, and sundries. Folks had come to believe that Augie was some sort of prophet because of his uncanny ability to see the future. Augie always said he just made logical predictions based on what he read and heard on the news. Anybody who paid any kind of attention would come to the same conclusions, he would say. People would spend hours just listening to him pontificate. As long as they bought soda and snacks and dumped dimes in the pinball machines while they were there, Augie didn't mind. There are troubling times a comin', he said, while his five year old son Johnny sat spellbound on a stack of retread tires. That colored preacher, Martin Luther King, he's doing way too much good for his people. Some damn fool is gonna kill him. And there'll be riots in the streets when that happens. I tell you what, And that ain't all. Bobby Kennedy ain't gonna live long enough to be president. Gonna be assassinated just like his brother. Bobby too? Someone said. That can't be. I mean, why should we believe what you say anyway? Remember when he told us there was gonna be airplanes that fly fast and sound? Old Bob, who sat on a barrel in the corner came to Augie's defense. And he said them damn Russians was gonna beat us into space. If and he says it's gonna happen, then it's gonna happen. Augie, can't you tell us something good that we can look forward to? June, who often worked the business with her husband, would try to steer the conversation toward more pleasant things. We are going to land on the moon. Americans going to beat them damn Russians to that. Well, that's good, another man said. And some day in little Johnny's lifetime, there's going to be a woman mayor of Chicago. Come on, Augie, a woman mayor? Going to be a colored mayor one day, too, and he's going to be a good one, Augie said. A colored man mayor of Chicago? No way. And one day, somebody is going to figure out how to travel through time. That's crazy, Augie. Just calls him as I sees em. That'll be 78 cents for the potato chips and pop. As Johnny grew older, he became fascinated by the time travel prediction and He'd often question his dad about it. Was it really going to happen? How did he know? Then, one day, when Johnny was just starting high school, Augie sat him down, told him that he knew time travel was real, because, some years earlier, before Johnny was born, he had been visited by a man from the future. He would give no details about the visit, but he seemed to feel it was very important that Johnny knew this hadn't happened. He repeated his story to him many times over the years, even on his deathbed. Johnny wanted desperately to believe his father, but he couldn't fathom why a traveler from the future would visit some guy living in the boondocks. Eventually, Johnny figured out who the time traveler was, or was going to be. He stumbled upon a weird book called The Negro Journal of Science in a used bookstore in town. He bought it because it was so strange, and it only cost 25 cents. When he looked through the yellow tattered pages, he found the most amazing thing. Highly detailed plans for a time machine, a chrono car, as the writer had called it, with the word Tesla penciled in one of the margins. That's when it hit him. Johnny was going to be the time traveler who goes back 50 years to visit Augie, and he would tell his father all about the future, which explains why Augie could make so many predictions. It all made perfect sense. He had a garage added in the back of his little Sears Roebuck home, for the sole purpose of housing his time machine. It only took him a few months to build it, using the mechanical skills he learned from his father and doing a little research on the electronics. It turned out to be an odd-looking thing. It was cylindrical-shaped, having been made from one end of a slightly rusted propane storage tank. It was about nine feet tall, including... The four little metal feet, the top being the rounded end of the tank, and the bottom a flat circular metal plate he had welded on. The hardest part had been cutting the openings for the little round window on one side and the oval shaped door on the other. The solid construction of the tank made for a challenging job, but it also provided a very sturdy, airtight little ship. He didn't bother to paint it, so it was the original glossy white with the word flammable painted in red going up the side. The plants had called for a device described as a mechanical brain controller. It took guts to crack open and modify the bulky little laptop computer which had cost him over $3,500 a year earlier. It wasn't the fastest thing available, but speed was not that much of an issue. He didn't care how long it took to get there. June would just shake her head when she saw him working on his time machine. She figured it was just another crazy thing he had set his mind to. Like when he built a radio-controlled lawnmower. Kind of pissed her off when it got out of control and ruined her rose garden. Johnny replaced the garden and built her a little gazebo to make up for it. Johnny constructed the time machine with no doubt that it would work. After all, the trip had already happened. It was history. So, he knew he would be able to go back, see his dad, and return home safely. When he couldn't get the temporal stasis field to function... He took a clue from the handwritten notation in the book and looked up Nikola Tesla and his experiments where he found the answer. It wasn't too tough getting most of the parts to build the thing. The hardest was the gyro stabilizer, which he mail-ordered from a military surplus store. He was very excited when the day finally came for him to begin his journey. His dad would be very easy to find. He would be living in the same house where Johnny currently resided. It would be a lot more rural, which would be a good thing. He could easily land a time machine and not be seen. The thing had not been tested yet, but knowing that his visit was already a done deal, he figured it would either work the first time or he'd have to fix or adjust something and it would work eventually. He kissed June goodbye as she handed him a bag with a bologna and cheese sandwich and a cupcake with a birthday candle for Augie. Johnny knew she didn't buy any of this time travel stuff, but she went along with it, being the good wife she was. Say hello to Papa for me, she said as she tried to stifle a giggle. He won't know who you are, Johnny said. Don't be too long, she tittered as she walked out of the garage. I'm cooking pot roast for dinner. Making sure he was well prepared, his cooler full and his bladder empty, he climbed inside and dropped the bag with the sandwich and cupcake on the console. He strapped himself into the seat he'd salvaged from a minivan at a junkyard and powered up the computer that sat on a shelf attached to the curved wall. There was the familiar whine of the condensers charging up, and he felt the floating sensation when the stasis field engaged. This much he had checked out before. Whether or not it would traverse time, well, he would see that in a few minutes. The view in the little window changed, going dark as if someone had turned the lights out in the garage. When he switched off the light inside the machine, he was taken aback by the spectacle outside. He was in space, somewhere thousands of miles above the Earth. This he was expecting, since the guy who wrote the article said it would happen. Still, it was an incredible sight. Similar to films he'd seen on TV taken from the International Space Station, only he was much higher. He could see satellites passing in orbit, weather patterns on the surface, and the bright greenish bands of glowing ions that were the aurora australis sneaking over the South Pole. He marveled at the sights while he lunched on the sandwich and some cold juice, spellbound at how the liquid that got away from him floated in little globules in the air. After an hour, he noticed that it was getting a little difficult to breathe. One of the things he remembered to bring was an oxygen tank with a breathing mask. Relaxing as much as he could, he took slow, calm breaths every few minutes. Another 15 minutes, and the chronograph on the computer indicated that the trip was about to end. He didn't know what to expect at this point, so... He braced himself. The scene outside the window suddenly brightened to what looked like trees and a twilight blue sky. For a second, his stomach dropped as the machine fell several feet, followed by a jarring crash. Johnny got out of his harness and exited the vehicle. He took a couple of long, deep breaths of the fresh, sweet-smelling air. He knew exactly where he was. The machine was sitting in the middle of the main highway, on a bend overlooking a steep ravine, barely a quarter mile from Augie's house. Not bad. He stepped back and examined his ship. One of the metal legs was bent slightly. Must have materialized a couple of feet above the ground. Could have been worse. Could have been higher. Or a lot lower. At that moment, he heard the roar of an engine just around the curve. He backed away when he saw the headlights flashing through the trees. Somebody was coming down the road at a pretty fast clip, and if they weren't careful... Johnny dived into some bushes as the pickup truck skidded and crashed noisily into the time machine. The force of the impact sent both vehicles over the side and into the ravine. Johnny could hear the crunch of metal as they bounced off the rocks below. He scrambled over to the edge and saw where the truck lay upside down, wheel spinning, and the time machine cracked open, nearly flattened. That was not supposed to happen. It took a couple of minutes to get down to the crash site, which was only a few yards from the creek at the bottom. He could hear moaning inside the truck. At least the guy was still alive. Johnny crawled over to where the man lay bloody face down on the ceiling of the cab. You okay? Johnny asked. Do I look okay? The driver said weakly. Get me out of this damn thing. Johnny reached in and tried to move him. My leg is stuck, the man half-whispered. Okay, okay, Johnny said as he took the keys out of the ignition. Hey, hey, can you hear me? The driver didn't respond, but was still breathing. Johnny reached over and pulled the man's wallet from his pocket. It took a while to get back up the road. He sat for a moment to catch his breath before heading to Augie's house, where he could call for help. He opened the wallet and looked for identification. His heart sank. He was looking at the driver's license issued to August 1st. His father was lying unconscious in the pickup truck at the bottom of the ravine. Not possible. Not possible but it was possible, he soon realized. His dad never told him any of the details of his encounter with the time traveler. Maybe this is how it happened. It has to be how it happened. He'll go to Augie's house and call it in. They'll get him out okay, and he'll get to talk with his father ten years before Johnny was born. Somehow the time machine will get fixed, and he'll get back home. Yes, that has to be what happens. Johnny walked briskly down the road. He was a little concerned about his father, but logic prevailed. Augie was going to be okay. Okay enough to meet May, get married, and have a son. After all, Johnny was still there. He never had any kind of limp or scars. So clearly, Augie would recover completely from this accident. There it was, the little house nestled amongst the trees, only here it looked new. Parts were still unfinished. The decorative shutters had not yet been put up, and there was no pavement. He walked up the gravel driveway and let himself in. It was the same on the inside, except the walls were freshly painted white, and not the more muted beige Johnny was used to, and the furniture was somewhat rustic. The sofa was cushions on a rough wood frame, and the coffee table looked like a varnished tree stump. Augie was known for making his own furnishings. He found a black wall phone in the kitchen. He picked up the receiver, listened for the tone, and spun the dial. Nothing. Idiot! He mumbled to himself. It's 1953. There's no 911 yet. He looked around and found the number for the local police on a little calendar stuck to the wall. Creep Police Department, a female dispatcher said on the phone. Yes, I want to report an accident on Exchange Street. Where on Exchange? Uh, At the bend, above the ravine. And your name, sir? "'Jonathan first. I'm at the home of August first at...' Augie first? I know where that is,' the lady said. "'He's the one who's had the accident, went over the side, at the bend, and down into the ravine. "'Okay. I'll send someone right away.' Johnny sat nervously in the living room. He kept telling himself Augie was going to be okay, and somehow he would figure out a way back home. Augie would probably help him repair the time machine or build another one. He spent half an hour pacing through the house. He thought about going back to the accident scene, but he'd just get in the way. Watching the old black-and-white console TV should calm his nerves. Who the heck was this Tennessee Ernie Ford guy anyway? He jumped when he heard a knock on the door. Just a second, he called. When he opened the door, he was greeted by two policemen. The older of the two cops looked down at his notepad as he spoke. He asked, Are you Mr. Jonathan First? Yes, I am. I'm Officer O'Donnell, and this is Officer Condon. May we come in? Of course. Johnny stepped aside. And what's your relationship to August 1st? O'Donnell asked. I'm his son. Johnny answered quickly, regretting it as soon as he said it. Excuse me? I am, uh, his son? I didn't know Augie had a son. How old are you? Johnny hesitated. I'm 43 years old. The older cop looked at the younger one, who shrugged. You're 43 years old and you're Augie's son. Yes, I know. That's going to take some explaining. I'll say. The younger cop chimed in. Augie was only, what, 30? 34. Today is his birthday. Where is he? Johnny said. He can help clear this up. I don't think so. O'Donnell said. He's dead. Johnny choked. He's what? Dead. Died before they could get him in the ambulance. Johnny sat down on the couch. No, he can't be dead. That's not possible. He he can't be dead. We saw him, sir, Condon said, deader than a doornail. Billy, please, O'Donnell admonished. Uh, Mr. First, may we see some identification? Sure. Johnny stood, took out his wallet, and found his driver's license. Oh, crap, he said as he glanced at it. May I, uh, please? O'Donnell reached for the card. Johnny sighed and handed it over. Is this supposed to be some kind of joke? O'Donnell frowned. This is not a driver's license. This is some weird kind of fake. And it says you were born in 1961, eight years from now. Would you care to explain? Johnny sat back down. I'm a time traveler, he said softly. What? I'm... A... time traveler. I came from the future. Get up, please. O'Donnell grabbed Johnny's arm. You're under arrest. Johnny was driven, handcuffed, through a town that looked a lot like some old TV show to the Crete police station, where they locked him in a room alone for almost an hour. He sat there, staring into space, trying to fathom what had just happened. He had just done the impossible, traveled several years into the past and killed his father, years before Johnny would be born. So, how was it that he was still there? For a moment he thought of his mother, May. In 1953, she and Augie had not yet even met. Even if he could find her, she would be no help. She'd just think, He was crazy. The time machine had been totaled. How could he possibly go back and fix it? Where would he find the parts he needed in this time? Just what in the hell was going on? Nothing was making any sense. The door opened and Officer O'Donnell walked in. Without a word, he removed the handcuffs, sat across from Johnny, and glared at him silently for several moments. This don't make a lick of sense, you know, O'Donnell said finally. What, your story? Makes no sense. You don't believe I came from the future, Johnny said flatly. Look, I've had many conversations with Augie. He had some crazy ideas, but usually there was some kind of logic. I mean... He did mention time travel once, and I might even consider the possibility that maybe you're telling the truth. Yes? I mean, the junk that Augie knocked off the road. Some interesting looking stuff. Like maybe future technology. And your driver's license? Almost believable. Almost? O'Donnell shifted in his seat. Yeah. Almost. See, I've been thinking. Let's say you are Augie's son, come from the future to see him. Well, Augie's dead. You killed him. Oh, I'm pretty sure it was an accident. But he is dead. Years before you're supposed to be born. Johnny sighed. Yeah, so how in the hell are you still here? I mean, once he died, you became an impossibility. You should have disappeared or something like that. Can you see where I have a problem with all of this? Johnny nodded. So what I want to know is, what is this all about? Either you are really from the future, which I doubt, or this is some elaborate con game. Maybe you were going to take advantage of Augie's beliefs and, I don't know, chip him out of some money or something. Killing him was an accident, I get that. But what were you hoping to get out of him? Nothing, Johnny said. I am his son from the future. All I wanted to do was see him, talk with him, wish him a happy birthday, that's all. You went to a lot of trouble, building your time machine, making a pretty convincing phony ID from the future. Why? I mean, you had to know that it would only be a matter of time before we figured out your real identity. I'm not lying. You're not going to find anything about me. I don't exist in this time. It doesn't make any sense, man. O'Donnell slammed his fist on the table. But it's all true, Johnny pleaded. Look, I'm on your side, the cop said. They're going to try to say you killed Ongie, but I know you didn't. The worst I can see is maybe unlawful intrigue, trespassing, or some kind of theft. But you gotta come clean with me. I have. Johnny had tears in his eyes. I've been completely truthful. Maybe if I could get back to my time machine or what's left of it. Not gonna happen. Besides, the thing's in a million pieces. After a few days in lockup, Johnny went to court. It was determined that Augie's death was, indeed, an accident, a stupid one, but an accident nonetheless. They never found any identification for Johnny, but it wouldn't be the first time someone had faked their identity. So, he was listed as a John Doe, found guilty of trespassing and theft, and sent to Joliet for eight months, despite the public defender's feeble attempt at an insanity defense in prison he managed to stay out of trouble and spent as much time as he could in the library scouring what little they had on physics he even read some science fiction that dealt with time travel there was nothing that could help him understand the paradox how could he still exist when his father died before he was born his cellmate was a quiet young black man named anthony who was in the final months of a one-year sentence for armed robbery. Of course, he didn't do it, or so he continued to say. Johnny told him his story several times, although he never knew if Anthony believed him. Anthony became his only friend, and when he was released, he promised to come back when Johnny's sentence ended a few weeks later. Johnny walked out of the prison gates into the nippy autumn afternoon with nothing but the clothes on his back and an empty wallet. His phony ID and counterfeit money had all been confiscated. Parked at the curb was a blue Chevy Nova. Anthony stepped out and waved him over. Johnny climbed into the back seat. Anthony was at the wheel and a cute young Latino woman with long black wavy hair and too much makeup sat next to him. This is Lucy, Anthony said as he turned in his seat. Hi, Lucy smiled big as she chomped noisily on a wad of gum. I told you I'd come back for you. Yeah, Johnny said tiredly. Thanks a lot. I do appreciate it. So, uh, where do you want me to take you? City or Burbs? City. Johnny handed him a slip of paper. Anthony frowned as he read the address. Uh, are you sure about this? Yeah. I looked it up. It's on the south side of Chicago. I know. Just take me there. Please. Whatever you want, man. Anthony turned and started the engine. Then can we go to Manny's? Lucy asked impatiently. Sure, baby. As soon as we drop him off. Forty-five minutes later, they pulled up in front of the house on Vincennes Street. I owe you, man, Johnny said as he got out. Want us to wait? Want us to come back for you later? Tony! Lucy pleaded. Relax, baby, Anthony said to her. We can come back for you, Johnny. No, don't bother. There's nowhere else I can go. I just hope he's still here, that he's still alive, Johnny said as he climbed out of the car. Johnny walked to the house and up the steps. He took a deep breath and banged on the door. The blue Chevy remained out front with the engine running. Johnny knocked again, harder. The door creaked open. A tall, frail, elderly black man with wire-rimmed glasses and white hair peeked out. Uh, Yes? Dr. Johnson? Johnny said hopefully. Dr. Simi Johnson? Yes, and you are? My name is Jonathan First. The doctor's eyes widened. Are you... Are you a time traveler? Johnny was startled. How did you know? Dr. Johnson sighed heavily. Please, come in. Johnny turned and waved to Anthony and Lucy, and they drove away. He followed the doctor into the house, passing old, musty-smelling furniture in the parlor to the kitchen that looked like it still had the same fixtures from when the house was built. "'Sit down, son,' Dr. Johnson said as he sat across from him at the big, heavy, wooden kitchen table. "'What year are you from? Do you have a message for me?' "'I'm from 2001.' and I don't know about any message, Johnny said. But how did you know I had traveled through time? Why else would you seek me out? You're the seventh person to come to me after building the time machine from my plans. Despite all my daughter and I have tried to do to destroy all copies of that accursed article, people continue to build chronocars cars and travel back in time. He shook his head. I fear we won't ever be able to undo what I started. Why have you come to see me? Johnny took a deep breath. My time machine got destroyed, and I need your help to build another one so I can fix something, then go home. Fix what? Well, that's the thing. It doesn't make any sense. Maybe you can explain it. When I came back in time a few months ago, I accidentally killed my father, years before I'm supposed to be born. I'm um, very sorry. No, you don't understand. My father died before I was born. How is it possible that I'm still here? If my father is dead, he will never meet my mother. So I shouldn't exist. I should have, I don't know, disappeared or something. It's been driving me crazy. But it's clearly possible. Dr. Johnson said. How can you say that? The doctor said with a weak smile. It's possible, because you're here. Johnny sighed. How? There is a very high price to be paid when you travel through time. You see, while you were in the chronocard and the temporal stasis field was on, you were still in 2001. The timeline was still intact. When you got here and turned off the field, you brought all of time back with you. Everything from the moment you arrived all the way back to 2001 no longer exists. It was destroyed. Erased. Like a piece of recording tape. But everything that was inside the field, you and the machine, still exists. You exist because the field protected you. Johnny shook his head. What I'm trying to say is that time has been restarted, and now you are permanently part of this time. You have been disconnected from 2001 and the original timeline, so the death of your father does not affect you. Wait a second, Johnny said. Are you saying I can't go back? Time travel is possible in only one direction, the doctor explained. You can only travel to the past. The future, where you came from, doesn't exist. Like I said, it was all erased. Wait, wait. Johnny shook his head. Before I made this trip, my father told me about a time traveler who came to see him. That traveler had to be me. He never said anything about me not being able to return home. Tell me. Dr. Johnson said. Did your chronocar have a fail safe? I don't know what you mean. I just told you that you cannot go to the future because it doesn't exist. If you try to send your chronocar to the future, it will burn itself out trying to go to an impossible location. I mentioned it in my article. Oh, that. Johnny shrugged. I didn't bother with that. I wasn't trying to go to the future, so why would I need it? The doctor nodded slowly. Then, that explains it. You went to see your father the first time. You brought all of time back with you when you did, but neither of you realized it. When you tried to leave, you probably saw your time machine disappear. But what happened was, It transposed into space where the mechanism burned out because you were trying to go to the future, an impossible location. You got stuck and died somewhere up there. Time resumed, your father met your mother again, and you were born. Your father tells you of the time traveler, you figure out it was you, and you come back again, bringing time back with you again. Simple. Johnny blinked. You mean, there was another me who came back in time? And who probably died then also. And I'm stuck here? The doctor nodded. Johnny stared at the doctor for several moments. You still have to help me build another machine. I have to go back eight months and prevent the death of my father. He was not supposed to die. We have no way of knowing what is supposed to happen. The doctor said. In any case, you cannot go back in time. It's far too dangerous. Whenever time restarts after a time trip, it resumes more chaotically. Things get worse. Every time. Besides, the technology for the mechanical brain controller doesn't exist yet. I'll be super careful. I won't do anything to change anything else. And I know enough about computers, maybe I can build one. There's a much bigger problem than that. The doctor removed his glasses and looked him in the eye. There's the first law of thermodynamics. What are you talking about now? The first law of thermodynamics says that there is a fixed amount of matter and energy in the universe. You can convert matter to energy and energy to matter, but neither can be destroyed or created. Look at your finger. Johnny held up his right hand, and extended his pointed finger. What about it? At the tip of that finger are molecules full of atoms. Everything is made up of these. Say there's a molecule of carbon that is part of your skin. It was a part of you when you were in 2001. Now you've bought it back to 1953. But somewhere in this time... That same molecule already exists. It may be part of someone else's body, or in the exhaust of a car, or whatever carbon might be. That is an impossibility. In other words, Johnny said, looking down at himself, there are 160 pounds of matter in this time that are not supposed to be here. More than that, it's you and all the parts of your time machine. The doctor (sighs) sighed. It's matter that is already here. It has been duplicated. No, not even that. That carbon molecule exists twice, on your finger and somewhere else at the same time. I cannot even venture to guess what might happen if that molecule met up with itself. Johnny was shaking. He was beginning to grasp the magnitude of the problem. He could not go back to 2001. If he went back to try to save his dad, he might run into himself. Hell, he could easily run into the same molecules and atoms that were in his body anywhere. On the sidewalk? Touching a doorknob? Even breathing it in? An impossibility, indeed. Is there anything we can do? Possibly. The doctor put his glasses back on and slowly got up from his seat. But for now, you look tired. I'll bet you're thirsty. How about a nice cool glass of uh, lemonade?
0: We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from Time Waits for No One. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook It can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, and iTunes.com.